0: Hello, and welcome to episode 10 of Around the Jewish World with Tom Price. This is part four of Ukraine, and it is focused on Odessa. I don't think there will ever be another country or region on which we spend four episodes. But certainly, if you don't already know it, by the end of this episode, I hope you'll understand why Ukraine deserves so much of our time and attention. One obvious reason is that for American Jews, many of us, if not most of us, have ancestors who were born in territory that is today or once was part of Ukraine, or adjacent countries that once ruled big chunks of Ukraine, such as the Polish-Lithuania Commonwealth or the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Now, we're going to start in an unusual way today, because I'm going to talk about one of the great landmarks of Odessa, which is informally known as the Potemkin Staircase, although currently it's known as the Primorsky Stairs, or the Odessa Steps. This is a grand staircase leading up a steep hill from the port to the heart of the city. And it was designed by an Italian architect, Francisco Boffo, and a Russian Jewish architect, Avram Melnikov, between the late 1830s and the early 1840s. There is a scene in the great Russian film, The Battleship Potemkin, which was released in 1925, which features a baby carriage running out of control with a baby in it, down this steep staircase. And it is a real nail-biter. And the the scene was repeated, essentially unchanged, in Brian De Palma's movie, The Untouchables. And it was imitated in many other movies. This was a, a classic cinematic trope. The movie was in many ways ahead of its time. Although it was silent, it used editing techniques that wouldn't be universally employed until much later. In 2012, the British Film Institute called this the 11th greatest film of all times, although for quite a while it was banned in the UK as Soviet propaganda. It has been acclaimed as a favorite movie by Charlie Chaplin, Orson Welles, Billy Wilder, and many others. The movie is essentially about the rebellion of, or the mutiny actually, of the crew of the battleship Potemkin in 1905, which was the first Russian revolution that gets much less attention than the so-called Great October Revolution of 1917. The scene was used by Soviet propagandists. Most of it was complete fiction, but the staircase was renamed the Potemkin stairs officially in commemoration of the 50th anniversary of that mutiny, so 1955. Now that Ukraine is independent again, it's officially the Primorsky Stairs, but locals all refer to it as the Potemkin Stairs, or sometimes the Odessa Steps. So you might reasonably ask, why spend so much time on a staircase? Well, the answer is complicated, as is nearly every answer having to do with Odessa but it is tied into the notion that Odessa was a uniquely Jewish city unique in both the history of the Soviet Union the history of Ukraine and the history of the Jewish people the director of this film the Potemkin the battleship Potemkin sorry was Sergei Eisenstein who you might be able to infer from his name was a Jewish director who succeeded in spite of official anti-Semitism in the Soviet Union in being one of the most celebrated Soviet film directors of all time. And as I mentioned earlier, one of the two architects who supervised the construction of this staircase was also Jewish. Now, why do I say that Odessa is such a uniquely Jewish city? We can begin to answer this question from several different directions. The first of which is a local joke which I will try to translate into English, and I'm sure it'll lose a lot in translation. An Odessan was asked one day, how many people live in Odessa? A million. And how many of them are Jews? I just told you, a million. You see, in people's minds, Odessans and Jews are often confused. This is true to the point that To be a successful stand-up comic anywhere in the former Soviet Union, but particularly in the Russian Federation today, you have to either have or fake an Odessan accent Uh, in much the same way that being a successful stand-up comic in the U.S. requires a New York accent. If you think of Jerry Seinfeld or the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel or countless others, the accent is associated with the humor. And this is something that sticks in part because the common language of Odessa for about a hundred years was Yiddish. Now why was that the case? It was the case in part because Odessa was a fairly new city, not officially established until 1794 on the order of Catherine the Great, the Russian Empress. The city developed very rapidly during the 19th century largely due to the arrival of colonists from other parts of Russia. It soon became a melting pot of Russians, French, Armenians, Poles, Greeks, Turks, Moldovans, and Jews, among others. Jews were, for much or all of the 19th century, depending on which city we're looking at, forbidden to reside in St. Petersburg, Moscow, or Kiev, So they poured into southern Russian cities like Odessa and Nikolaev, eventually constituting a third of their population by the end of the 19th century, and even half the population on the eve of World War I. And all these different groups, different nationalities, did not necessarily have a common language. You might think that since it was part of the Tsarist Empire, it would be Russian. But then you would be ignoring the fact that highly educated and prosperous Russians all spoke French, and Russian peasants spoke the language of the countryside from wherever they came. So in the end, because there were so many different minorities in Odessa who had to do business with small Jewish merchants, like cleaners, tailors, jewelers, craftsmen, the language that united the city was Yiddish, and also ultimately the humor that entertained the city was Yiddish humor. Now I'm about to give you a remarkable list, and it's not by any means a complete list, but of people who lived in Odessa during the last quarter of the 19th century. And if any one of you listeners has ever lived in Jerusalem or spent an amount of time there as a student or whatever you'll recognize that half these names at least are major street names in jerusalem and they're all named after odessan jews so odessa was a great city of jewish culture jewish literature both in hebrew and in yiddish but most of all of zionist thought and action The center of the Zionist activity was the so-called Palestine Committee, which helped relocate people from Ukraine to Palestine. This committee began in the 1880s with names like Pinsker, Ahad Ha'am, Bialik, Klausner, and ben Ami as part of the board. The members of the board raised funds to buy land in Palestine, and one example of such is the land where the Hebrew University of Jerusalem was ultimately built. One of the most active members of this committee was Mayor Disengoff, the first mayor of Tel Aviv. In some respect, people say that Tel Aviv was actually built in Odessa. Lillian Bloom, one of the first journalists of the Yishuv, wrote that in Odessa, Jews arrived on the shores of the Black Sea, built a magnificent city, and developed a prosperous port. If they were able to do that in Odessa, with all the anti-Semitism surrounding them, they could certainly achieve a similar goal on the shores of the Mediterranean. So a small sample of these famous Jews who lived in Odessa during the last quarter of the 19th century includes, but is certainly not limited to, Ahad Ha'am, Isaac Babel, Chaim Nachman Bialik, Mayor Disengoff, Shimon Dubnov, Zev Jabotinsky, Mendele Sforim, Shalom Aleichem, Pinsker, Mendele Forum I already mentioned, sorry, Usishkin, and Shalom Aleichem, last but not least. Now I'd like to leave the specifically Jewish history of Odessa and talk about the more general history. I mentioned earlier that modern Odessa was founded in 1794 on the orders of Catherine the Great, the Russian Empress. But in fact, there were settlements where Odessa is now all the way back into ancient times. And rather than go into the history of changing hands and changing names and who lived there, I'd like to ask you to think about the Black Sea region in a way that most Americans don't usually think of it, which is as one large cultural unit divided by different rulers, different languages, whatever, but In ancient times, there were ancient civilizations that settled all along the coast of the Black Sea. And one in particular still has remnants today in surprising places. The Greeks who viewed the Black Sea as a Greek lake had settlements almost everywhere that was a port on the Black Sea. And even some places that are not ports today still have those so-called pontic greeks greeks from the black sea region left in them and i discovered this personally when i opened the u.s embassy in yerevan armenia now today armenia doesn't get anywhere near the black sea but in ancient times it did and there were greeks there who have stayed in armenia ever since and we're talking like two thousand years So one day in Armenia's Central Park, I was having a sandwich for lunch because it was a beautiful sunny day and I wanted to get out of my office. And I heard on the next bench two old men speaking Greek. So I asked whether they were tourists and they said, no, our families have lived here for generations. And it turned out that they were descendants of this Pontic Greek community that exists everywhere along the Black Sea. And one of the books that I would like to recommend to you is a book simply called The Black Sea that examines this sort of cultural unity and very remote history of the Black Sea region. The author's name is Neil Asherson, A-S-C-H-E-R-S-O-N. Well worth your while, although I warn you that it is heavy reading. It's definitely nonfiction. Alright, so getting back towards modern times, there was a settlement where Odessa is now that belonged to the Cossacks, although at one time it was part of the Republic of Genoa, and at other times it was part of the Grand Duchy of Lithuania. Anyway, the place where Odessa is today was once called Haji Bey, and it became part of the Ottoman Empire in the 15th century, and more directly in 1529. The Ottomans rebuilt a fortress there and slightly developed the port, but never in a way that would compete with their interests, which were centered, obviously, on Istanbul. So Odessa became sort of a sleepy fishing village until the Russian-Turkish War of 1787 to 1792. Now, one of the heroes of this war was a Spanish noble who was in service to the Russian Navy and eventually became a full admiral, although at the time of the war, he was a major general. His name was Jose de Ribas. Today, the main street in Odessa, de is named after him and very much in his honor. We like to have the conceit in our generation that globalization is a new thing, but this guy who captured Odessa for the Russians, was actually born in Naples and was the son of the Spanish Consul General and his Irish wife. So what could be more globalized than a Spaniard born in Naples of a Spanish nobleman father and an Irish non-noble mother who is working for the Czarist Navy and who is today celebrated as the, if not the founder of Odessa, which is clearly Catherine the Great, certainly the source of the name of the main street. And that main street, by the way, is like the Champs-Élysées would be if it were turned into pedestrian-only zone. It's full of outdoor cafes, small shops, fine restaurants, places where people can just promenade along a couple kilometers of this street named in honor of an errant Spanish noble. In any case, the city was occupied by the Russian army in 1789, and in 1794, Catherine approved the creation of a new port city and invested imperial funds in the construction of that city. From... 1795 to 1814, the population of Odessa increased 15 times over, and it went from being a small village to nearly 20,000 people. Colonists of many different ethnicities settled in the area of the former Haji Bay, and the new city quickly became a major success. Its early growth, ironically, owed a lot to the work of the Duke of Richelieu, who served as the city's governor between 1803 and 1814. Having fled the French Revolution, he served in Catherine's army against the Turks. He is credited with the city's design and organizing its infrastructure and is considered to be one of the founding fathers, along with another Frenchman, Count André de Longéron, who succeeded him in office. In 1819, the city became a free port, and remained such until 1859. Because it was a free port, it became home to an extremely diverse population of Albanians, Armenians, Azeris, Bulgarians, Crimean Tatars, Frenchmen, Germans, Greeks, Italians, Jews, Poles, Romanians, Russians, Turks, Ukrainians, and many others. The cosmopolitan nature of the city was documented by Pushkin, the great Russian poet, who lived there for a year in internal exile. He was banned from Moscow from 1823 to 1824. In letters, he wrote that Odessa was a city where, quote, the air is filled with all of Europe. French is spoken, and there are European papers and magazines to read. The phenomenal growth of Odessa was interrupted briefly by the Crimean War in the middle of the 1850s, during which it was bombarded by British and imperial French forces. It soon recovered, though, and the growth in trade made Odessa Russia's largest grain-exporting port. By the end of the 1890s, in fact, by the end of the 19th century, Odessa was 40% Jewish. But not all was wine and roses, however. The community was repeatedly subjected to anti-Semitism and anti-Jewish agitation from almost all the Christian segments of the population, Pogroms occurred in 1821, 1859, 1871, 1885, and 1905. Many Odessa Jews left after the pogrom of 1881, particularly to the Ottoman region that became Palestine. And Odessa began a long history as an important base of support for the Zionist movement. So I think the only question left is, What do you see if you go to Odessa today? The answer is you see a city of slightly over a million people with an extremely pleasant sort of subtropical climate warmed by the waters of the Black Sea. You still see the famous staircase which is very central to both the layout of Odessa and the identity of Odessa. You see this great pedestrian street called Deribasovskaya And you see two old hotels, one built in the early 19th century, one built slightly later called the Londonskaya or the London Hotel, which has a lovely courtyard and a great restaurant and is quite near the top of the staircase. And a few blocks away, there's a Hotel Bristol that's slightly newer, where the the bedrooms have the highest ceilings I have ever seen in any hotel in the world. So accommodations are pleasant, food is pleasant. Uh, There's a lot of traces of French influence, Armenian influence, Turkish influence, Greek influence. The food of Odessa really reflects the cosmopolitan past of the city. You also see several active synagogues representing different streams of Judaism, modern Orthodox, Chabad, other Hasidim, and a progressive synagogue as well. There's a Jewish community center. There's an active Hillel for university students. And estimates of how many Jews live in Odessa vary at least as widely as estimates of how many Jews live in Kiev, because the answer to that question depends on how you define a Jew. I think the official estimate is maybe 20,000, but the unofficial estimate is at least 60,000. In any case... You do not have to look far or hard to find a kosher restaurant, street stalls that sell falafel, hummus, other Israeli specialties. Uh, There's a lively exchange both by air and by sea between Odessa and the state of Israel today. And it is a place that I commend to your attention we will move on to a new region and during the next episode and i thank you for your attention